Welcome to Episode 4 of City News 680, 30 Years in the Rearview Mirror. I'm Scott Metcalf, former news director at 680. This episode covers the years from 2008 to 2012. Coming up... A huge fireball. Then we heard an explosion and the windows moved. Like about three or four seconds later, there's a huge fireball in the sky. That was unbelievable. A fire and explosions at Sunrise Propane caused evacuations of entire neighborhoods and shut down the 401, the biggest highway in the country. Also coming up, we'll hear from former Morning Show co-anchor Lisa Brandt and the current Morning Show co-anchor Catherine Jette, including Catherine's on-air run-in with a camel. But first... From the sea to the sea, there was sadness across the land when Canadian music icon Gordon Lightfoot died on the 1st of May, 2023, at the age of 84. His many songs, like the Canadian Railroad Trilogy, were played a lot on music stations in what programmers refer to as heavy rotation. Gordon Lightfoot knew that term, heavy rotation, because he was an avid radio listener. He was also very familiar with 680 News Radio. In fact, many years ago, Lightfoot ran into 680 Music reporter Rudy Blair at an event, and Lightfoot mentioned that the two of them had never sat down for a one-on-one interview. Rudy was invited to Lightfoot's home to record the interview, and after that, they stayed in touch. That relationship was very important back in February of 2010, when there was a post on Twitter that said Lightfoot had died at the age of 71. Some CanWest Media websites picked up the story, and it started to spread around the world. 680 News held off on reporting the story and tried to get official confirmation to find out if it was true or not. But there were so many calls into the newsroom asking about the Lightfoot story, we decided to use the story on air, but saying clearly that it had not been confirmed. After that earlier interview at his home, Lightfoot had given Rudy his cell phone number. And Rudy was able to get him on the air to confirm that the reports of Lightfoot's death in 2010 had been greatly exaggerated. The co-anchors at the time were Brian Fisher and Catherine Jette. It was lifelong Lightfoot fan Brian Fisher who broke in with the good news on February 18, 2010. Well, this just into 680 News. Uh, the latest developments regarding this story we've been reporting on this afternoon. Reports from out west that uh, singer-songwriter, Canadian icon Gordon Lightfoot had died. 680's music reporter Rudy Blair is joining us live right now with the latest. Rudy? Yeah, do you want to talk about the latest? Excuse me, Mr. Gordon Lightfoot, are you there, yes. please? Yes, Rudy. What is uh, going on? I'm hearing about you dying, and then suddenly you finally get a chance to call. What is going on here? All of a sudden, my, my music is in heavy rotation. <laughs> All of a sudden, my music is <laughs> is on the air everywhere. I'm fine. I'm in great health. I'm doing just fine. I'm sitting in my office right now. The whole thing's a hoax. Gordon, well, did, when did you hear about this? And when you did, I mean, what did you think about people talking about you died, but you're not dead? Well, I started getting concerned about it because uh, I heard it on uh, on the radio coming down here. Uh, just a few minutes ago, and I, I very hurriedly rushed in here because our, our telephones are ringing off the hook here at the office. And uh, the, the whole thing is uh, it's just a hoax. That's all it is. I don't know where it came from or how it happened. Gordon, uh, have you had a chance to talk to any of your family members? Because I know uh, we had heard that they're really upset about hearing this hoax. 
Well, we're we're going to we're going to be getting calls here all afternoon, I'm sure. And uh, you know, I'm going to be be talking to people, and uh, I, I I really appreciate the concern. You know, it, it's <laughs> um, I don't know what to make of it, but I I, I hope that we'll find out. But I, but I'm fine. Okay, so your health is okay. Everything's good. You're still touring. Everybody's happy. I, I'm just getting ready to go out on tour. Oh, might as well promote it. Where are you going right well, now? Well, I'm heading down to the southeast, actually. I'm playing five states down in the southeast, and we're, we're doing ten shows in 11 days. So I hope that, uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll be able to handle that okay. Oh, my goodness. Gordon, you have no idea. Man, I'm standing here, and I'm shaking like a leaf because when I heard about this. Can you do me a favor? Can you wait a couple of more years before I have to do your obit, please? Oh, yes, indeed, I will, Rudy. That's very kind of you. <laughs> okay, my friend, I'll let you go. Thank you for calling into the 680 News Studios. Good to hear that you're still alive, my friend. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Right, Bye-bye. That was Gordon Lightfoot and 680 Music reporter Rudy Blair dispelling the rumor that Lightfoot had died in February of 2010. When Lightfoot made that joke about his music being in heavy rotation, you may have noticed the laughter from the news anchors Brian Fisher and Catherine Jatte. That was the sound of relief that they shared with the listeners. In fact, Catherine actually turned on her microphone at that moment to make sure that listeners could hear and share that laughter of relief. You'll hear more from Catherine later in this episode about the Lightfoot incident and her move to the morning show. You'll also hear her laughter again when a story about a camel included this sound. That caught Catherine off guard and led to a listener calling into the station to comment on the aftermath. We'll hear the camel story and the listener coming up later in this episode. But first, we'll hear from morning show co-anchor before Catherine, Lisa Brandt. Lisa Brandt was the morning show co-anchor of 680 News from 2002 to 2008. She recently chatted with her former co-anchor, Paul Cook, about their years together at the station. Also taking part in this conversation is 680 anchor and reporter Mitch Burke. Now, Mitch used to listen to Paul and Lisa back when he was a 10-year-old kid on his way to school. And listening to Paul and Lisa was one of the reasons why he made it a goal to one day work at 680 News. For this conversation, Paul and Mitch were together in a studio at 680, and Lisa was on a computer screen on a Zoom call. After working side by side for six years in the 680 News booth, it was the first time that Lisa and Paul had seen each other in many years. And this is how that reunion started. There we go. Hello, Polly. Hello, Lisa. How are you? I'm very well, especially seeing and hearing you after all these years. Oh, my God. Sometimes I was telling Mitch it feels like yesterday and... And then I give my head a shake and realize it's not. We were we were kids. <laughs> we were kids. Now look at us. Just I know, right? Grizzled oh. broadcast veterans now, right? Well, maybe me, not you. You're not grizzled. When I came in here this morning, I told Paul that the two of you, uh, through my portable radio growing up, that it was a mainstay on the bus to school and the, the magic of the morning show. So this is, I have to acknowledge, is a bit of a surreal moment. Lisa, how did... You get into the whole operation. I, I, it's interesting because I know you, Stephanie Smythe, and I all took the same path into the 680 newsroom. We all started with two legends of the business, Don Daynard and Aaron Davis, 
doing mm. news on their broadcast on the FM side. And all three of us ended up in here. Yeah, so I had been working at a station in Hamilton and got a call from Paul Fisher, who had offered me a job back in the 90s. He offered me a job when I was at the mix to cross the street for the exact same money, exact same shift. But he said, look, we want to move Stephanie Smythe out of doing morning news on CHFI. Would you come and do that? And I went, uh, yeah. So that's how I got positioned in the newsroom at 680. In between my newscasts over with Don and Aaron, I would write for, for the morning show. So that's where that all came about. And then when Stephanie... Um, I guess got moved into new, the news director chair. Uh, she came off the morning show. I don't know how she was on the morning show after Marlene left, or I'm not even sure how that happened, but they offered me the job. And I initially said no, because it's such a pressure cooker in there, right? And I was scared to death of uh, of the pressure of it and, and being able to keep up. I remember meeting you, know? you that day. Steffi introduced me to you and, and you had her in stitches. And she was <laughs> saying that like, all of a sudden, you're going to love this person. She's one of the one of the funniest people I've ever met. As far as meeting somebody immediately and being in tears. Well, it's my defense mechanism when I'm nervous, right? Dark humor, and and then you and I found out that we're like um, siblings when it comes to the darkness of our humor. Stuff that we, I mean, I would never repeat if I, if I could remember it. Uh, stuff that you and I said, but but you would always go coping, Brant. We're just coping. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then we, of course, on the on the morning show and on other par- day parts and at six eighty news, you have to have hand signals so that you know you're not saying, "Okay, let's go to commercial now." So we had all those hand signals, but you and I made up our own as well. Like panic, we had a panic <laughs> oh, hand signal, and we had some other things just that that made each other just laugh. And it was, you know, we picked our times when we laughed. There was a, so much serious stuff we covered, and I think, you know, once the initial whoosh of all that past it was it was time to just give ourselves a little bit of break we would have cracked otherwise i think i know i would have do you remember the moment when when you were asked about the job to come in to leave the daner drive-in and and come to work as the anchor Mm. on 680 the, the, the team us together do you remember how that unfolded i remember just thinking it was such a big big job that i was just concerned that i uh you know, I'd been in other situations, different morning shows and stuff, nothing like this before, but <laughs> there is nothing like it, but where people couldn't wait to see me fail. And I needed you and you did to prove to me and to to say to me, look, we're going to be a team here. And, um, you know, people thought of us, I, I think maybe as equals on the air, but I learned so much from you because you'd already been there for so long. And it was like you've said many times, the mass unit of news. You can't fall in love with anything you've lovingly written because breaking news happens. You got to throw it all out. All these different things that I learned about doing news in the moment, I learned from you, Paul. Well, you taught me so much as well. I mean, because you had that experience of 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 just having to throw yourself out there, your authentic self, and not just doing the news when you were an announcer. You you had been doing shows solo and taking calls from listeners and, and you kind yeah. of, um, I mean, you really infused the show with what they would call stationality. So we were still able to inform, but, um, I think you made me a better broadcaster because I could, oh. I could be more authentic. I didn't feel like I had to be the newsman 
And, uh, you know, we were presenting the news together. And, and at the end of the segments, once in a while, we had a few chuckles, you know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, knowing when to, yeah. when you could have a laugh and when you couldn't. And, uh, you know, nobody took the news more seriously than our team when it, when things happened. And I can name you every woman who was, you know, and, and girl and, and young boy or whatever who was murdered or whatever during the time I was there. And I'm sure you can too. They they stay with you. So you have to have that that outlet once in a while. When, when you talk about the pressure cooker, did, did it did it add to the pressure that you felt that not long after you joined? I mean, 680 was strapped to the rocket when you joined because it was just, it was right after 9-11 when you were on the morning show and you cro- and we crossed the million listener mark pretty soon after. Did you feel everyone tuning in as you were going live? It really felt like a, yeah, felt like a juggernaut. We knew that we had, I mean, there was a lot of listener feedback and there were there were, you know, Nobody could touch 680 for spreading across the city. It just felt like uh, being part of a really big machine. And at 680, uh, it's a, I don't know, it's like exponentially bigger because there were so many people. And although they're technically doing the same thing, the morning show is where everything fresh gets built and designed and chosen and you know, there's a moment where, you know, we've had our morning meeting and, and we've all decided what we're going to do. And then, but the last minute Paul goes, you know what, I think it should be this or whatever. And we all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's got the most experience. And so we, we listen to what he has to say, of course, always. And, um, and then the reporters go out and it's like, okay, showtime. Oh, it's we, just, there was, there's nothing like it. And we could be a nightmare for the reporters, the diva anchors that we were or are, are still to this day. But, you know, it's just, you just want to be right out of the gate. And, and, and even if it means blowing it all up at 530 and yeah. changing the plan, you know, it, it almost is always for the better. And, and we got to, and we do listen to each other and, and we always have. And I, I think that's what makes 680 so great is the collective. There's, there's so many eyes on the situation. We used to joke the largest newsroom in the country. By weight, <laughs> no, not just by weight, yeah, right. just, just by the numbers of us in there, and and we sort of we've we've always been able to to leverage that advantage. I think I have a few Ooh. examples of the yeah. right out of the gate. If you wanted to just take a quick stroll back memory lane, hmm. six eighty news. This is in depth team coverage. Six eighty news has confirmed that there will be no TTC service this morning. In a call to the six eighty newsroom, the transit services Marilyn Bolton says there will be no service at all. The union has been threatening to go on an illegal walkout, and maintenance workers have reportedly gone off the job. Our in-depth team coverage begins with 680's Kevin Meisner live at TTC headquarters at Davisville, normally also a very busy subway stop. So that that seems pretty out of the gate. That wasn't that wasn't a scoop that we got from, a, from another paper. That was a call we got, and it sounds like you got it just minutes to air, and bam, there you are. That's, that's when the station's at its best, when it's... Mm. Y- immediately useful and essential, right? That's one of those things where you're kicking yourself if you didn't listen to us before you walked out the door. And Paul, you just hit on a word that that you used to say sometimes and it would sort of reset me and remind me, yeah, useful. Like 680 News is useful. You know, it's um, not just passive entertainment and people aren't just, you know, complaining about the government or whatever else is going on there's there's news you can use and and uh, you used to say that and 
it would always remind us, yeah, we've got to make sure that we're living in people's lives so we know what it is people need. All about the listener. I have one more. This is this. I love this. 680 News Time, 603. If it were 15 years ago and we were still all hits radio CFTR, this winter, this would be our number one hit. Yes, the 680 Storm Center theme. Our Jamie Pulver is here live with the latest delays and cancellations. <laughs> Jamie. Well, Paul, this storm center is bigger than Britney Spears. Uh, this storm center update brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers totally. and Coy Brothers. Uh, you tell it's just buses. a totally organic moment, yeah. right? You know? And, and, we're, and we're, we're giving people the details on the only thing they want to know about. Are you, are you and having are you having flashbacks about that? The, 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 <laughs> those storm days bit. were stressful. I, I'm you know I'm going to have PTSD when I walk out of here. But no, it's um, you know that's where also I mean the creativity that that Paul infused there is not something that everybody can do. I remember a couple of um, really seasoned news anchors coming in to train and walking back out saying there's no way they'd be able to do this because it's all because of the timing, the fast turnaround, the crunch of trying to get everything done on time, and then putting something into it that you won't hear anywhere else. I mean, it's something so few people can do. How are you still doing this, Paul? <laughs> I've got four kids. Well, <laughs> they're, they're, I don't think I'd have the energy. I look back and I go, I don't think I could do it now. Most of them are off the payroll. But, you know, it, it is pretty amazing uh, how these guys keep me young. I mean, I'm sitting across here from a guy who walked in here as a 10-year-old boy, and now he's he's practically running the joint yeah. in Mitch Burke. Uh, the, you know, Catherine Jate, who, you know, I guess would really be – my third real co-anchor, I mean, Slajana Taminzik filled in a little, a little bit during Matt Leaves and some in-between periods. Um, you know, she's fantastic. And she's, this is wild, Lisa, because you watch me living my crazy life, raising children, young children and doing this job. I'm mm. watching Catherine go through it now. So, you know, it's kind of wild. But it, the, the team keeps, keeps me young. Uh, I love coming into work still. So as long as that is the way it is, why right. would I walk away from this, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll always credit the two of you for for keeping the news real and keeping it human. And and, and I rem- like school would begin at nine o'clock or five after nine. But I always made a point before the morning show ended to hear whatever the whatever the heck the two of you were about to say at eight fifty nine. Because after three and a half hours of news reading, to let it out and uh, get on people's level and to show that we are not robots. That it's it's. It's, I appreciate it's you saying that. I, I've heard from a lot of people. Oh, I used to love love to listen to you guys sign off in the morning. And, uh, you know, it was very, I don't ever remember really planning that really well. It was just all very organic and natural, right? We, we never planned anything like that. All, all of yeah. that was, was, and that's what, that's what made the relationship great, for sure. Yeah. You're my favorite work husband, Paulie. <laughs> I've had a few. You know, I've been married a few times. But you do uh, realize I have favorite. other wives that will be listening to this news, this uh, podcast, right? Yes, I do, <laughs> but that's okay. You don't have to say it back. I am happy to report that work wife number three has has kept up with the uh, the crudeness and 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 all and all the like. I'm glad. I always like Catherine, and I and I'm glad she settled in, and it's working out great for you guys. I really am. You set a good bar for Catherine for sure. You're both well, you're both brilliant writers. Really? Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. That was former morning show co-anchor Lisa Brent in conversation with her former on-air partner, Paul Cook, 
along with 680 reporter and anchor Mitch Burke. Mitch had talked about how much he enjoyed the on-air chats by Lisa and Paul. Here's an example of one of those chats on the day when Lisa told the morning team and the listeners that she was going to be leaving later that year. 680 News Time, 709. Yeah, sometimes it's just easier to say it with music. 680's Lisa Brandt has an announcement to make. My colleague of, uh, what, six years almost Yeah, now, well, huh? actually, if you count before I was in the, the booth here with you, it's it's more than more than nine years wow. that I've been here. Uh, yeah, I'm um, I'm leaving 680 News. Um, it's not going to be for a little while. I will be here for the next few months, but uh, I've decided to move on. I want to say thank you to to John Hinn and Scott Metcalf for, for being the classy individuals that they are to allow me to do this and uh, showing the respect for our listeners and, for, and for, for you and me to be able to talk about it on the air. A lot of times that doesn't happen in this business, so I, I appreciate them letting me do that. Just a lifestyle change. Lifestyle change. So it's nothing I said. No, it's nothing you said. It's not, you know, I love this place and I love all of you people, uh, Elizabeth and and uh, Leslie and Rudy and Jennifer. And I'm going to leave somebody out if I start naming all the names. But um, no, it's just it's a lifestyle change. I'm going to be doing some different things, like oh, sleeping past three in the morning, and uh, you know, concentrating on writing and um, in my personal life. It's, well, it's it's a personal decision. I think you know how everybody around here feels about it. You, you saw the reaction this morning when you yeah. broke the news to. Your colleagues before you went on air about it. Yes, I just peeled Jamie Pulfer off me a couple of minutes ago. But, you know, everybody knows that uh, that I love them, and um, it's it's going to be difficult. It really will. But sometimes these decisions have to be made. Well, we still have some time together right we through do. until uh, the summer <laughs> and, and the autumn. and uh, It'll be a long goodbye. Like, uh, how can we miss you if you don't leave? No more Groundhog Days together, though. <laughs> no more I Groundhog Days. Those. I think I miss an upcoming election as well. Yes, I guess you do. <laughs> yes, I guess Well, I it's a bittersweet thing, Lisa. We're, we're all very happy for you. Thanks, Polly. Decided on the course you want to take, and uh, some of us are envious of you too for well, being able to make that decision. I don't call you. I haven't called you my work husband for nothing. I've never done that before in my life. So and now I'm going to get all emotional. So let's not do that. I need a few yeah. more months to hold that back. Okay, diversion, please. Six eighty News Time, seven eleven. That's Lisa Brandt and Paul Cook talking about Lisa's decision to move on from Six Eighty News in two thousand eight. There were a number of big stories that occurred between the years 2008 to 2012. On Sunday, August 10, 2008, thousands of people had to be evacuated from their homes because of explosions and fires at the Sunrise Propane Facility in Downsview. It was a Sunday, about 3 o'clock in the morning. Richard Southern and Judy Friedman were the co-anchors when there were a flood of calls from people asking about the loud explosions and fires. It was a huge fireball. Then we heard an explosion and the windows moved. Like about three or four seconds later, there's a huge fireball in the sky. That was unbelievable. In that moment, Richard decided he would get to the scene as quickly as possible. Judy took over as the solo news anchor. Richard drove to the scene and was one of the first reporters to see the destruction firsthand. Richard spoke with 680 Assistant News Director Patrick Luciani about that day. During their conversation, you'll also hear some of the coverage that Richard provided from the scene in the early hours of that Sunday morning. 2008, you're an up-and-coming journalist at that point. You're working overnights. The Sunrise Propane Explosion, that was on a Sunday morning, an early Sunday morning. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? 3 a.m. I think about it a lot all these years later because it's not, um, I mean, it's it's almost never. Do you f- literally, when you say uh, impacted by a story in the newsroom, I mean, in this situation, 
physically, literally impacted. It's 3 a.m. Uh, it's just me and my co-anchor and uh, maybe another uh, worker. We're in the newsroom. Quiet night. The lead story was it's going to rain tomorrow. So we didn't really have a lot going on. Uh, and then the, the building we're in, it shook. And we were saying, what's that? I remember going on the Canada geological website trying to figure out was there an earthquake? Did we just feel an earthquake? And it was at that point when I'm trying to figure that out that the phone starts ringing. We're hearing from TTC drivers. We're hearing from people getting woken up. They're on the complete opposite side of the city, and they're saying, we're seeing a big fireball. It took me two or three of these phone calls for my brain to connect the fact that what these people are seeing on the other side of the city it's probably what I just felt turned out to be this huge propane facility blowing up called the Sunrise Propane Facility. Terrible story. You know, killed a firefighter, killed a, a worker at that facility. And it was this huge story that literally woke Toronto up in the middle of the night. And there was only one place they could turn. And that was 680 because nobody else was on the air at that point. And this is, this is before Twitter really took off. So, you know, you feel something shake. There's... You're not going to go on Twitter and see if there's a whole bunch of people talking about it. Find out if there's photos posted or video posted. You're just getting, we're just getting phone calls. Absolutely. But, but even today, you want to, or at least I would want to get some official uh, source and some official reporting right. on what I'm feeling, right? And that's, sometimes that's available on Twitter, sometimes it's not. But, you know, your instinct is to let's put on the news. And thankfully, we were on the air. At first, we didn't have a lot of news to, uh, to relate about this. But off I went in the middle of the night, and it was uh, a war scene, really, that I walked into. I remember to this day walking down this suburban neighborhood at Keel and Wilson where uh, windows and doors blowing off of these houses, people in their pajamas wandering around. And, of course, as we got closer to this facility, huge, massive flames leaping into the night sky from this propane facility, which went sky high uh, earlier that night. It was quite something, Patrick. And so t- talk a little bit about that um, decision making. You're, you're, in, you're in the newsroom with, the, with your co-anchor. It's probably now like 4, 4.30 in the morning. You're figuring out, oh, there's been a big explosion there, there, there are no reporters. There's no editor on the overnight. It's just the two of you anchoring the shift. And then you've got your traffic reporter who's there doing traffic, also fielding, you know, similar calls about a fireball in the sky from, you know, people driving on the 401 or the 400 or any of the 400 series highways. How, how did you come up with the decision to just, I'm just going to go to the scene and report from it? It was clear that it was a huge story, whatever was going on, and I uh, felt that we needed to be there to look at it to impart what was going on to our listeners. It's always good to go to the story, no matter how big or how small it is. We always try and do that. The great thing about radio is that it's really easy to do that because we can just, if everything else fails, pick up a phone and go live on the air and tell people what are we seeing and that's exactly what I did I described the the neighborhood of Keelan Wilson the windows blowing out the people in their pajamas wandering around the propane facility up in uh, in flames imparting and giving some background to everybody listening about what woke them up that morning it's very immediate radio and that was a perfect example of how the immediacy really works great It's Sunday, August 10th. Good morning. I'm Judy Friedman. 12 degrees and partly cloudy in downtown Toronto. And here's what's making news this hour. 
have breaking news from Downsview area where dozens of powerful explosions early this morning has led to the evacuation of a number of people in the Keel and Wilson area. 680's Richard Southern is live at the scene and joins us now with the latest. Richard, exactly what is going on? Well, hey there, Judy. I just arrived on scene here in the Keel and Wilson area just a moment ago. Uh, we have a massive fire here. Officers on the scene are telling me that it is at a propane refinery, uh, of course. Now, we're not going to go ahead and say that's an official word because they're just uh, in their cruisers, of course. A huge emergency response here. But again, they are telling me this is a propane uh, refinery, and I have every reason to believe that is the case. And uh, the air just thick with the smell of propane here. I am not uh, far from the blaze. I'm looking at the flames billowing up high into the air right now, Judy. Thick black smoke encompassing uh, about one or two city blocks here. As uh, 680 News has been reporting this morning, this entire area being evacuated by police. Uh, they are going door to door here, getting everyone out of their homes and, and away. Of course, uh, with all the streets uh, closed off, as you heard from Pan, I had to walk my way into the area as I did so. Pretty much every single person outside in front of their house, uh, talking with their neighbors, comparing stories. Uh, they all heard a large, a large uh, series of explosions uh, this morning. Uh, those bangs are continuing to happen uh, sporadically here, uh, presumably uh, perhaps the pro propane uh, tanks uh, going up. Uh, blaze, uh, blaze uh, as far as I can see from my vantage point, uh, Judy, does not appear to be spreading at this point, but again, a very active blaze. Uh, live on scene here, Akeel and Wilson, Richard Southern, 680 News. Do you remember how long you were there for? Oh, I was there till uh, noon the next day, and then I think I went back that night. So it was kind of a marathon. I, we were went to the staging uh, area. They had a Downsview Air Base, and the uh, fire chiefs uh, showed up. And that's when I think we, we first learned of uh, a Toronto firefighter losing his life in, in that battle that night. And and it's it's that it's that hunger and that drive to kind of just cover the story where you're you know working an extra long day. You go home and sleep, and you're right back in it. You want to go back there and just be at the thick of it again, right? Sure. I mean, that's what you get into the business for. You want you want to be at the big story and see the big story. And a lot of the time, the big stories don't happen when you'd like them to happen. They happen on the weekends. They happen on the holidays. They happen in the middle of the night. You know, in uh, I feel for the people who lost their lives, obviously, but I was happy I was there to be able to cover what was a very big story for Toronto that that uh, August two thousand eight. I remember one of the one one image that really stuck with me with, with the propane explosion. Beyond just the the image of the fireball, I was it was taken like outside of the city, but it just so big was the fact that it shut down the four hundred one for like the first time ever. Yes, and we had our uh, our airplane uh, Skymaster one up there uh, on the weekend covering the four hundred one closure, Express and Collectors, right through Midtown Toronto, uh, being shut down. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, uh, it was a story that ended up really impacting the whole city because of that. That was Richard Southern and Patrick Luciani talking about the Sunrise propane explosion in August of two thousand eight. Another big story around that time was the G20 meetings and protests in Toronto in June of 2010. The protests turned the city upside down. More than a thousand people were arrested in what is considered the largest incident of mass arrests in Canadian history. Many reporters from 680 News covered the protests for days. Here are a few examples, starting with Carl Hansky, who was at the scene when a police car was set on fire by protesters in downtown Toronto. Yeah, John, I'm just north on Bay Street, north of the front, and I can see the, the vehicle on fire, the flames in the middle, black smoke billowing up in the air, a huge crowd of people gathered here. You can hear 
people blowing their horns, but there's also vandalism here along Bay Street up by Queen. I saw a bank with a window smashed. I saw a Bay Store with a window smashed, a Starbucks with a window smashed, graffiti sprayed everywhere. There are hundreds of people packed here in the street. I'm looking down now at a row of riot police preventing me from going further south. And then there's another line that looks like down at Fun Street. And in between, we have this burning vehicle. Police here very uh, looking on. They're slowly starting to move forward a little bit. Now they're stopped. But people here, every time police take a step, they turn and run. But again, we had some violence here. Not only just these vehicles on fire, we have some graffiti spray, and we have some vandals and wind smash, whatever, here on Bay Street. Reporting live, Carl Hansby, Decatur News. Another reporter covering the mayhem live from the streets during the protests was Shauna Hunt. And just a path of destruction here at College Park. Uh, I'm looking at a Tim Hortons. Uh, all windows are smashed in. The winners, all the windows of the winners at College Park uh, were smashed in too. And also the Starbucks across the street and the Franz Diner across the street. I'm hearing that these protesters were ripping the interlocking bricks out of the sidewalk and uh, using them to smash in these windows. I'm also told that they came equipped with baseball bats and large sticks. And they were also whipping bottles at these windows. Uh, the Tim Hortons was pretty demolished. I, I mean, it looks like it was ransacked. And once these windows were broken, it looks like these protesters went inside and they started picking up chairs and just smashing them around. And uh, for the people uh, who were witnessing this, it was uh, quite a nerve-wracking moment. What did you see? All right, so people were coming up the street and the police were ahead of them and they were saying, get home, get home right now. And they were like pushing us out of the way and anyone that lingered around to watch was forced down the street. And it's like, everyone's got their little kids here and they need to get their kids out. And uh, for quite a while here at Young and College, uh, the protesters had moved on, but because the subways were shut down and the GO train shut down, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people were just stranded. They were aimlessly walking the streets. Uh, police had blocked off so many street corners that no one had anywhere to go. And uh, there was just a lot of fear in this crowd. At one person, someone just yelled, run. And out of nowhere, the stampede of people, these were not protesters. These are people who live, work, and visit the city. And they just started running for their lives. It turned out to be nothing, but this is the kind of panic that is happening on our streets. Reporting live, Shauna Hunt, 680 News. Tensions were running high on the streets during the G20 protests. Even reporters were getting caught up in the chaos. Police started using a tactic called kettling, where they would surround people and wouldn't let anyone out. That included reporters. 680's Kevin Meisner was one of those caught in a kettle. This was a very, very dramatic situation. Police and riot gear came in. They took over for uniformed officers who retreated. The riot police surrounded us in that intersection. And why, by us, I mean protesters, average citizens who came along to watch, and media. They surrounded this group on all four sides, giving the group absolutely no escape route. They simply moved in. They instructed everybody to move. I went to... Uh, the south side asked if I could uh, get out of the cordon. I was told, no, move. I went to the north cordon. I was told, no, move. I went to uh, the west cordon, again, told exactly the same thing. I hooked up with uh, uh, three or four other uh, members of the media. We collectively went again to the north cordon of police officers and asked, we are media, we do not want to be arrested, we do not want to be tear-gassed, can we leave the area? And they, uh, they said, no, we, everyone is going to be arrested. Then a senior officer leaned in about five minutes later. He told the crowd, everybody here is going to be arrested 
for conspiracy to commit mischief. I want everyone to line up here in front of me and be arrested. I interpreted that as possibly my out. So myself and uh, my three, four colleagues from other media outlets, we all lined up. We volunteered to be arrested. We were taken through the line. We were uh, roughly told, um, why were you in there? Who are you? Show us ID. We uh, were thoroughly searched. I was frisked from top to bottom. They took my knapsack off my back. They looked all the way through it. They pulled things out. And uh, one of the uh, reporters... Um, was actually in tears. She was terrified by this situation, and I can tell you it, it was extremely tense. What is happening now, I can't tell you because I have retreated from the area because it does look like those officers are ready to move in, use force, make arrests, and it does appear as though, if needed, tear gas will be deployed in that intersection. Reporting live. Not far from Queen and Spadina, Kevin Meisner, 680 News. Again, those are samples of some of the live reports filed by 680 reporters during the G20 protests in Toronto in June of 2010. There are many people behind the scenes who played important roles in the success of 680 News, including engineers, commercial writers, producers, and of course, the sales department. Heading up 680 sales in the early days was Derek Bergheis. He's a Canadian who was educated at Princeton in the United States. And after graduating, Derek worked in the media business in the U.S., including at the Wall Street Journal and also at the ABC Radio Network in New York City. Vice President of News at 680, John Hinnon, says as soon as Derek arrived on the scene, they immediately started working well as a team. Derek uh, loved this format as well. Um, he and I were, as you say, a team. And uh, we did this, a lot of this stuff together. He would sit in, in meetings with me and he'd come up with ID programming ideas. And I'd sit in his meetings and come up with sales ideas. Oftentimes in radio, what you always used to find was that that was a separation of church and state. I mean, sales guys don't talk to the news people or the programming people and vice versa. But we, we made a conscious decision that uh, that wasn't going to be our case. We wanted to work together on this thing. And um, so one of the real benefits of 680 News was that, um, and it became apparent pretty quickly, that a station like 680 News worked not only uh, for us, and, but it worked for the advertisers. Um, we actually said that commercials are part of our information package. Uh, so we, came, we had 60 minutes, 60 minutes of information every hour, which included the commercials and still do today, you know. So... Um, and, and they worked for the advertisers because, again, that foreground listening thing where people actually would tune in for, for uh, information. So, so that, was, that was another major key for us. It turns out that Derry Bergheis had a connection to 680 long before he started working there. He had actually been an intern at CFTR when it was a music station in the 1980s. The general manager who had arranged that internship left the company just before Derek's internship started. The new GM was Tony Viner. In a conversation with senior business editor Mike Apple, Derek says that connection with Tony Viner was how he eventually connected with 680 News. I'd been an intern at 680, a CFTR then in 1982, summer of 82, my final college summer. And uh, Tony Viner inherited this kid who's coming in to be an intern. Anyway, I, I love Tony. And years later, you know, I, I was down at ABC. Tony said, we have this little thing, you know, little station called 680. It's been going about two years would you ever like to come up and uh, give us some thoughts? And I flew in and we talked about 680 and I, you know, I did a lot of listening to it and had some suggestions. And then he said, hey, would you ever really want to come, not, not just to consult, but to work here? <laughs> and, and lo and behold, uh, 
uh, shortly after he said, would you like to come up and be our head of sales? Um, oh. And then that sort of dovetailed. So with other what, what year would that have been? That was the summer of 95 when I joined uh, 680. I, I, I remember vividly because we went from 680 CFTR radio. Right, there were virtually, right. I think, maybe three carryover sponsors. So yeah. Coffee Time Donuts played ad nauseum the first uh, couple yeah, of days. Yeah. There were very few because it was, again, it was, an, uh, you know, Toronto, certainly in Canada, had really not had anything to compare it to and advertisers had to figure out what was this thing and how do we buy it and how does it, how's it going to sell? Well, a lot of people thought it would never work. Uh, I remember seeing, um, I won't mention names, but I'll just say the head of one of the other broadcasting companies when I was thinking coming back and he said, Derek, this thing will never work in Canada. It's an American format. And I'm thinking, huh, do you think McDonald's would ever work in Canada? Would Coca-Cola ever sell in Canada? I mean, just because <laughs> that it's developed in America uh, doesn't mean it's not going to work. And, um, and it was very hard at the beginning because um, – I mean, the listeners started to come, for sure. First of all, the men and cars. Uh, but we couldn't get arrested in the ad agencies. I mean, they wouldn't <laughs> even look at it, even if it's for a banking commercial, uh, a, a new airline route for business travelers. They wouldn't even look at us. But uh, for direct advertisers, um, it really it started to work. And local advertising was the was the key, wasn't it? Local direct, and yep. um, and and they're chasing sort of every sort of radio advertiser. When I got there, and I said, you know, guys, let's let's try to be specific. Let's look at what all news traditionally is done in the U.S. Let's look at the categories they're really strong in, and really focus on those. Doesn't mean we won't go after the Bay or Eaton's at the time, but let's look at financial business to business. Uh, let's look at technology advertisers, automotive, particularly high-end dealership, but you know, all automotive um, and anything that's sort of high-end consumer. And um, we had very good qualitative audience. Very, I mean, not, not a huge audience at the beginning, it grew, but the qualitative at the onset was very strong. And um, in the ad side, we'd call it OMPs, owner, manager, professionals. Right. And we had very strong qualitative, and this qualitative very quickly became the best qualitative in the market. But the other thing I would say that really helped um, to enable the growth of the radio station, uh, we had the complete support of Ted Rogers, uh, the board of directors, Tony Viner. And well, that was the that was that was the testament to Ted, though. I mean, he always kind yeah. of saw the future, and you know when. Going from a, a, a top 40 successful music format mm -hmm. to yeah. all news that no one had ever really been accustomed yeah. to in this market, that in and of itself yeah. was massive. Absolutely. And and the, the board, too. I mean, they were business people. They were also looking at our results. And every time they gave us a budget, we outperformed. And we were growing at maybe two or three or four times the market growth rate in revenue. And, um, you know, we were building our expenses, too, but not at the same rate of the revenue increase. So we were becoming you know, approaching profitability and profitable and then more and more profitable. Uh, so we got resourced the way we needed to be resourced. Uh, and John and I spent so much time, John him and I, and, and we talked about programming and how do you build features that will be really attractive to the listener and the advertiser. And I, John and I would sit down and think about 
Oh, Winter Storm Center, because when the storm hits the city, are the schools open? How are the roads? What businesses are closed? And it's an absolute demand listening piece. It's the information that's critical. Um, and I think we sold it to Subaru and Toro Snowblowers. There are a lot of categories that were very now. I'd love to buy that. I want to buy that. And we built packages around that. Another, um, you think about Toronto, it's a city Unlike any in North America, I think that's a huge percentage of people who exit this city in the summertime, from Victoria Day to Labor Day, even up to Thanksgiving, uh, to go to cottage country. So we built cottage country traffic. And cottage country traffic would always have separate sponsors from regular traffic, be more cottage oriented. And so the idea was how John and I would think, how do we build product? That is great for the listeners, and then by extension, will be very good for the the advertiser. So we'd spend a lot of time together, but we'd come up with all these ideas, um, and uh, with everyone else in the station, it's not just the two of us. It's like we Scott Metcalf when he came, and Paul Cook, and Lisa Brandt way back, and Marlene Oliver, and you at the business desk. It was an all star team. I think it was the best um, broadcast team, and not just Canada. I, I mean, when, and I'm going to say the, the cluster, we had performed, we had, a, when I talked earlier about a 40% share of local revenue during some months, there's no cluster in any major North American market that does that, that, you know, in New York and Chicago, Atlanta, they, that was, that, I, that was unique uh, to this continent to be, have a, a cluster as dominant as the one that we all built. What, what is 680? meant to you i mean obviously professionally it's been it was fantastic but you know just was it i loved to breathe that yeah. I, I loved it i mean um it was a 24 hour i mean for john and me and, and and i think everyone else you included um it wasn't nine to five we were thinking about the station all the time and if I mean, if it was at nighttime and a huge business story broke you'd be on it as our you know senior business guy and um I think we just all had a passion for what we did. Thanks for doing this, Derek. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you. That was former VP and general manager of 680 News, Derek Burkheist, in conversation with senior business editor at 680, Mike Epple. One constant of the 680 Morning Show for decades has been co-anchor and managing editor, Paul Cook. There have been three main co-anchors over those years, there was Marlene Oliver, who we heard from in Episodes 1 and 2. Another was Lisa Brandt, who we heard from earlier in this episode. And the current co-anchor is Catherine Jatte. She had wanted to work at 680 since she was a student. She demonstrated that commitment by leaving a daytime job at another radio station to start at 680 by working on the overnight shift. Here now is Catherine Jatte in conversation with 680 anchor and reporter Mitch Burke. So... You were at a competitor, I would say, slightly more bearable hours than what you're currently doing. Was it was it daytime? Or yeah. Was it- so at that at that time, I had been working in news already for four or five years, and I had finally worked my way up to uh, a daytime position. So it was an, an afternoon drive job at at a competitor. Um, and that felt like a really big moment because, you know, it had been years already of overnights and part-time and weekends and evenings and uh, little bits here and there all over the place. 
And finally getting to that afternoon, Monday to Friday job just was huge. Um, I celebrated for sure. But uh, as great as it was, it wasn't the station I ultimately wanted to be at. I wanted to be here. And so when an opportunity came up here to work overnights and kind of start from the bottom again, even though I had been working this kind of cushy afternoon job, I jumped at the chance. Uh, there was no hesitation. This is where I wanted to be. And it uh, it didn't matter that I had to, to start on overnights to get here. So it sounded like you knew for many years the powerhouse that this station was. Yeah. So when I first started studying broadcasting, I had this idea that I was going to be this kind of like rock journalist, DJ, you know. Um, And I remember being in the car with my dad and we would listen to 680 and he would say, this is what you need to do. Um, And I remember thinking, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. But I, I didn't really see myself in it. And once I started doing news in college and then I worked at the Canadian press, I thought, actually, yeah, news is it. Um, and 680 is it, but it didn't seem like it could ever be attainable. It it seemed like just this faraway dream. And so I, it's, it's, I got to pinch myself sometimes that I ended up here and, uh, and to do mornings with Paul. I mean, how amazing is that? There's what we do every day. And then there is the miracle, the magic that that is the morning show and how it has been the standard bearer for excellence. You know, back to that pinch yourself moment. You know, what's it like to be a part of that team that that proves itself to be one of the best around? I mean, you know, Paul is just such uh, an amazing colleague um, and and such an amazing kind of mentor because um, he teaches without teaching. Just watching him work is an education all by itself. Um, Just the way he's able to approach stories from such a a human perspective. And it, it informs the way that I now approach my job. And uh, so just, just that in itself, but the entire team is the cream of the crop. I, I really, and every year it has gotten better. And we're at a point now where it, it's never been better. And I just am so thankful every day. Our reporters, our editor, our technical producer, every single member of that team is just giving it their all, all the time. And it's... uh I mean, it, it makes me sound good, and uh, I just am so grateful for their efforts. It's, you know, it's quite a luxury to be able to get up at the time that we do in the morning, which for me is is 3 o'clock, and I'm not the one who wakes up the earliest. I think our editor wakes up before 2 a.m. 1.40, I think. It's insane. Oh, I need, we have to have a chat with her. But- you know, for me to be waking up at three o'clock in the morning, and if I haven't slept well, or I'm not feeling great, or I feel, you know, a little bit out of it for whatever reason, to still have the confidence that the show is going to sound amazing because the team is so amazing and someone will catch you if you fall. There is a safety net. 
And I, I can't, I can't describe what that feeling is like to not think it all rests on me. If, if I slip up, that's it. No, I, I get to come in here and feel like people have my back. And uh, it's, you know, if you've ever worked for with a team where that's not the case, you know the stress of that. And so just the having that relief of it's okay, it's handled. We've all got each other's backs. It's really incredible. And I, I don't know if um, we'd be able to work these kinds of hours without having that sense of comfort that it's okay, we've got each other. I'm going to ever so delicately aid you in, <laughs> in the most gracious of ways. 10, 15 years ago, it was the dawn of social media mm-hmm. for news gathering. All yeah. of a sudden, we're looking at Twitter for stuff, for, yes. for, for breaking news. And some of it is, frankly, garbage. I, I'm not sure where this one started, but a a huge moment for... Um, the power and the importance of actual, you know, sourcing and confirming things and making sure things are right before we talk about them came in 2010 um, when I believe you were on the afternoon drive at the time. And the now, it's all about uh, the now late great uh, Gordon Lightfoot, who we had thought at the time had passed, but we didn't know. We couldn't say it was. Perhaps if someone else was there and and we were we weren't t- checking every box and taking every precaution, maybe would have we would have just run with it and called it as fact. But we didn't. Even um, even just the decision to report that there were reports was a big deal that day, and we we debated it quite a bit, and uh, we only even alluded to perhaps being a rumor because there was a pretty credible source. It was, I think, Ronnie Hawkins, who had been a friend of Gordon Lightfoot's, who was saying he had heard that he had died. So, um, But even then, we weren't comfortable until we had heard confirmation from the family or from some representative of Mr. Lightfoot's uh, with going with the report that he had died. And then came this. I'm fine. I'm in great health. I'm doing just fine. I'm sitting in my office right now. The whole thing's a hoax. It felt great in the moment to hear his voice after all the rumors. Yeah, that that is a moment I won't soon forget. And I know that Scott is yeah, very I did, I did interested ask... in the camel. Oh my gosh! Okay, story. So he, I think he played. I think he played the clip. I was trying to find it, but. Um... He, I know he has yeah. it. He's, he's a yes, fan. Yes, he does. Yeah, I, I have heard it in recent weeks. So it's you and John. Um, yeah. So we had, you know, in every newscast, we write a lot of stories that don't actually make it into the newscast because we never know. There could be a technical issue. We could, you know, traffic could drop out. The commercials might not play. We always need way more content than we're actually ever going to use just in case. And we had... This story that I had never actually read that just was labeled camel story. And it had been sort of in the newscast all day long, but we had never actually gotten to it. And I had made some joke like, oh, man, you know, we'll know it's a really slow news day if I end up having to read this camel story. And on the very last newscast of 
our shift. John Ross, who was a little bit of a little bit of a jokester, decided he was going to make me read that one. So he threw that one in at the last minute. I've never seen it before. And it turns out that the story starts with a clip that I've never heard. And then there's a story for me to read referencing that clip. But when the clip hit, the sound, I mean, it was the end of the day. I think we were tired. You get a little punchy, a little giggly. When that clip hit the airwaves, I absolutely lost it. It was a sound, I don't know what I expected a camel to sound like, but that is not it. This sound was, I I think I, I said on the air, it sounded like Chewbacca to me. That's what it sounded like. I looked at my producer, who is now our assistant news director, Patrick Luciani at the time. I looked at him when that clip played and we both burst out laughing. And then I'm supposed to read the story that goes with the clip. And I tried and tried to get the giggles under control. And I never did. Every time I kind of rallied and calmed down, I would look at Patrick who would be rolling on the floor laughing and just absolutely lose it again. And eventually John Ross had to come to the rescue and wrap the story up because I actually could not, could not put it together to say a sentence. I was laughing so hard. So then the next day I get called into the boss's office. I think that's it. I'm I'm done. I'm going to be fired. And it was Scott Metcalf who had a really good poker face on that day. And he goes, so I heard your 730 newscast. And I went, oh, no. And then he played a clip. I guess we had had a caller call the station and leave a message on our listener line saying, yeah, so, you know, I'm having a really terrible day. And uh, I just heard the story about the camel. And I thought this man was going to, you know, tear into me about how unprofessional I was. And instead, this listener burst out laughing in the message and said, and it just totally made my day. I was having the worst day and now I'm in the best mood. That was hilarious. Thank you so much for the laugh and left it at that. And that a uh, listener may have saved my job because after that, Scott, you know, uh, did ask, like, why were you laughing so hard and what happened? But also said it ended up being a really great human moment and uh, sort of congratulated me for playing it off like the joke that it was. So, yeah. Wow. Got anything else? I think we covered. Yeah, I think yeah. We, we got it all yeah. out there. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Thank you for the chat. Thank you. This was lovely. Yes, it was. Cathartic. (laughs) Okay, let's get to that camel story that Catherine referred to, the one that gave her the giggles after she was caught off guard. Her co-anchor that day was John Ross. He added the story to the newscast at the last second before Catherine had a chance to review it. 680 News Time 708. That's not Chewbacca. Those are camels. Those are supposed to be camel sounds. Now, it was an unusual call for firefighters. A 1,500-pound camel named Moses needed to be rescued. The call came in Tuesday night in Clackamas County. 
after the Oregon city owners of the camel called firefighters to say that Moses had fallen into a sinkhole. It's not funny for Moses. It was six to eight feet deep, and he was possibly injured. The owners, they actually have several camels. Who has camels? And they run a children's ministry. They had tried to get the camel out themselves, but failed. Firefighters had to carefully shovel mud. How long is this story? For several in the end, okay, Moses was saved, all right? And he was patient, apparently, and the firefighters got him out. And a veterinarian, above all, says that the animal looked unhurt. But that apparently is the sound of a camel who was, doesn't like Was that animal. a healthy camel or an injured camel? All right. But the good thing is Moses was okay. Exactly. Gas prices not expected to change tonight, remaining at just over a dollar and one cent per liter. For more information, go to tomorrowsgaspricetoday.com. This gas price update is brought to you by Markville Ford Lincoln and your Toronto area Ford dealers. And as we heard from Catherine earlier, she was relieved when she heard this message from someone who called the 680 listener line while driving home after a rough day at work. I had a bit of a rough day, but I really want to thank you for the last. Uh, with the reporter doing a story about the camel. Uh, cracked me up. Thanks a lot. Bye. Now, of course, Catherine was never in any danger of being fired just for being human on the radio. It was just another example of how Catherine is an authentic broadcaster. So the camel was rescued, and Catherine was somewhat rescued by the camel caller to the 680 listener line. And all's well that ends well. Coming up in the next episode. I don't know. There's a bunch of a bunch of gunshots. Uh, okay. Yes. Yes. Go. Put me on air right now. Reporter Cormac McSweeney is sent running for his life as gunshots ring out on Parliament Hill in 2014. That's coming up in the next episode of City News 680: 30 Years in the Rearview Mirror.